Well, the title of my message this morning, as you can see right there on the screen, is Don't Stand in God's Way. And uh, if you can open your Bibles right there to Acts chapter 11. And uh, I get the title of my message from uh, verse 17, in which Peter said, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And um, I have a total message all prepared to preach on that. I've got 22 pages of notes about that. And one of the things in my message, I did struggle a little bit about what does this mean not to stand in God's way? And... At prayer meeting this morning, I was, I was just struck, and um, just, it, it just in God's sovereignty, typically we go through the, the fighter verses, uh, just from Bethlehem Baptist Church, fighterverses.com, we go through them, so just in the, the warp and woof of time, we've come to Psalm chapter 20, um, these are memory verses, and I've been memorizing them, so here, Psalm 20, verses working to memorize that that's kind of been on my heart as I think about Psalm 20 um, and then and then some things converged for me um, I was thinking about Afghanistan and and was just struck by how easy is it for us to just say, oh yes we trust in the name of the Lord our God they trust in chariots and they trust in horses but it, it really struck me about Afghanistan and think about the Afghani people and particularly the Christians in Afghanistan. And it's one easy thing, oh yeah, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, but would you do that if the Taliban were coming after you? And so what I'd like to do this morning is really call an audible and preach from Psalm 20 this morning. Now normally, normally I have notes upon notes and I I just, I, I go through those notes, very logical. Uh, here are my notes this morning. I just wrote them at prayer meeting. This is the second time I've ever done this at Life of Rock Valley Bible Church in terms of just coming up with something. I don't think I'm particularly gifted in preaching from few, few notes. And yet I do believe that God has placed on my heart just the need for us in this day to really think about Afghanistan and to respond and pray for them. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3 tells us how we are to deal with people who are in prison. And it says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. I've seen images this week of Afghanis being mistreated. I, I, I have seen... Desperate. I mean, you, you've probably seen some of these too. I, the, a military plane taking off, and Afghanistan people so desperate they're hanging on. And that plane gets up, and they can't hang on any longer, and they fall to their death. So desperate are they to get out. I've seen, perhaps you have, right? Images of a, of a baby, a newborn baby, given to an American soldier so that that baby maybe gets out and gets to America 
and has a better life. I, I've seen images of, of um, people being kicked and, and, and slapped and pistol whipped and potentially shot. I see people trampled in the streets because of the chaos over there right now. And I want us as a church, I mean, we could go on and Acts, but I, I do believe this is, a, this is really an application, right? Don't stand in God's way. God has so put this on my heart. I, I really feel like we need to really think about Afghanistan and pray. The message this morning is entitled, We Trust in the Name of the Lord Our God, Pray for Afghanistan. And so I want to I speak. I, I don't think I'm going to speak my normal 45 minutes because the, these are my notes, all right? So I'm not going to speak a, a long time, but I, I do think that in this week where there is much havoc in Afghanistan that we would, we would do right just to pray for them. Psalm 20 helps us in that perspective, and so you can open your Bibles to Psalm 20. We're going to, we're going to get there, but I do want to um, set the stage even especially for something that has struck me, and really it just, it, just, it just came this morning when we were in prayer meeting, and so I just Googled and, uh, and pulled this up. It's um, from Breakpoint, <clears throat> the Colson Center. Um, I just searched up something about Afghanistan church. And uh, I'd heard before about uh, Afghans who everybody in the nation has an ID card. And uh, in recent years, Christians have put the stamp on that ID card that they're Christians. And now with a Muslim takeover, a militant Muslim takeover, establishing Sharia law, you can only imagine what's going to happen to the Christians. Let me just read uh, from breakpoint.org that I just looked up this morning after prayer meeting. <clears throat> it says this. So here was a, a conversation that um, John Stone Street had with uh, editor, World, World Magazine editor Mindy Bells, and uh, Mindy Bells says this. The Afghan church is a unique community, mostly aged 40 and younger. They are all Muslim converts. It's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Since they are a tiny church, <clears throat> now doubled inside, in size, they are considered very fast growing. There are perhaps only 2,000 people, but they are an important force in Afghanistan simply because of the force that the gospel is. Because of the love of Jesus, the reach they have is a real thing in a dark Taliban-shadowed country. And here's what I'm talking about, the IDs. It said, about two years ago, a number of these church community leaders did something amazing and brave. They decided to change their identity, their religious affiliation in particular, on their national identification cards. All Afghan citizens have a national ID card, and they're used all the time for many reasons. And they often show religious affiliation, and that affiliation tends to be handed down by the father of the family. The new Christian church elders wanted to change their identification for the sake of their future generations. Not all Christians agreed that this was a good idea, but several dozens of them have changed their official identification to Christian. Now, the government record shows Christian affiliation. There are the Christians that have been, these are the Christians that have been targeted the past few days. At least one Christian that I know of has received a letter from the Taliban stating, quote, we know where you are, 
We know what you are doing. This implies the Taliban has access to the government record. The Taliban then showed up to this Christian's house the day before the full city takeover, and they've also visited other Christian homes. And you might argue that these are small, isolated incidents, but they play against the backdrop of nearby atrocities. Afghan military who have been hauled out of their homes and shot, and in one case, beheaded. Afghan Christians are totally vulnerable with no political power. They have no one to appeal to. They don't even generally qualify for special immigrant visas to the United States or other Western countries because they've avoided working for American organizations or working for the Afghan military. To do so potentially exposes them to attention and danger. And I'm sure there's much can be said. This is all that was written here in this article. But I want you to think about the fate of those 2,000 Christians and particularly the dozens who've taken the name of Christian on their IDs. I have little doubt in my mind, maybe I'm misguided, I would suspect that everyone who took the name of Christ on their ID will be murdered by the Taliban. That's how Sharia law works. That's how militant Muslim works. Islam works. If you're a Christian, you're an infidel, and I am serving God by killing you. And so I don't know how many there are who will be killed by the Taliban over the next year or so, weeks, months. I don't know how many that is, but I think they'll be sniffed out and killed. And what that means is that there are martyrs to be, present-day martyrs to be, clearly for, this case, for, the, for the cause of Christ to be murdered. Uh, they haven't worked for... America, they haven't worked for the military, they have no visa, there's no way that they can get to America, and there's no way for lots of people to get to America, but these Christians are contemplating their death, probably, and how easy is it for us? Oh, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What do you think the Afghani Christians are praying right now? I mean, I... Um, I saw an interview uh, where someone, and I think Yvonne maybe was talking with me about it a little bit, where someone says that I'm going to be dead in three days unless I get out of Kabul, right? We talked about that, and, and I, I don't remember seeing that, but Yvonne told me some video that she watched, that he, he was a translator or something like that, and if I don't get out in three days, I'm going to die, and I think that's the case for many Christians. If they don't get out, they're going to die, and there's no hope of getting out, and so I do believe that we should pray for them. In Acts chapter 7 records the martyrdom of Stephen, of preaching the gospel and saying to those people, right, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered. And, and that confrontation cost Stephen his life. And, and, and holding up a, a Christian ID card means that Christ is the way, and Islam is wrong, and they will be, they will be killed. And so I, I just think for us today is that as, as those two things really came together of trusting in chariots and, and some in horses, I thought it would be good to pray for them. It, it is interesting, Psalm 20 is a prayer. In fact, if you look in the first five verses, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least eight, nine, ten, whatever, prayers. Look, look what it says. It says, 
may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. This is a prayer for answered prayer. David was praying for someone else who was praying for the Lord who was in trouble. Like, is that not what our prayer should be for Afghani people? May the Lord, Afghani Christians, answer you in the day of your trouble. They have trouble right now. They are praying, and we can pray that God would answer their prayer. In fact, that's all one through five. It's just... I, David is longing for others' prayers to be answered. So, verse 1, second part. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. God can do that in Afghanistan. He can protect people. I mean, in fact, he's done that throughout the scriptures, has he not? He's protected his, his people. He has protected, you remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember them? When they were forced to bow down to the big image of, of um, Nebuchadnezzar, and, and when the music played, they were going to bow down and worship this false god, they said, no, we're not going to do that. Even to the cost of their life. It was said, if you don't worship, if you don't bow down when the song is sung, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And they were told that, and when everybody in the nation right was, was falling down to the name of We had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing strong. They're standing up, refusing to kneel. And they were signaled out. And they were brought even before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, what, are you going to bow down to this idol? Or are you going to do that? This is the law. And if you don't do that, you are going to, to die. You remember their response in, in Daniel chapter 3? Um, when they were just taunted, they said, um, if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast in the firing furnace. And who is God? Who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right? Are you going to trust in the name of the Lord your God? Or are you going to trust in chariots? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3.16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they said, God will deliver us, but if not, we're not going to bow the knee. And God is, as it says in Psalm 20 and verse 1, the name of the God of Jacob can protect you. And in a miraculous way, God protected those three men in the fire and they were, they were in the fire, and it was burning, and, and the fire was so hot. You remember that when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, that the others even died when they threw them in, as I, as I remember. Right? They, they, they threw them in. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even have a hair on their body that was singed. And they came out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. And when they were all three in there, actually, when Nebuchadnezzar looked, he saw four, because it's probably the pre-incarnate Christ right there with them, dancing in victory. The, the God of Jacob can protect. And, and yet, I mean, I think about their death. Would I have guessed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to die? Absolutely. They're right there, the fiery furnace. They're going to be thrown in this furnace that is seven times hotter than normal. Of course, they're going to die. But God saved them. 
really, I think it's some, an example and a hope for us. And so I think these Afghani people, do I have any hope for the Christians in Afghanistan that they will survive through this? I have zero hope. But I have the hope of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, O king, we will not serve your gods. We need to pray for them, for boldness, for continuing on. That if it is the case that God decides not to save these Afghani Christians, but glorifies himself through their, through their martyrdom, may they have strength throughout that, that time. And, and you know, even in Acts, right? When Stephen was stoned to death, what happened after that? The church was scattered. And, and as Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So it may be that their blood becomes the seed of the church, that it grows even faster than it has grown before. We don't know. Like in Iran right now, God's doing a work, particularly among the women in Iran, who are fed up with this oppression of the men. And they're finding release and joy in the freedom of Jesus. And I've only heard about it. right? But we don't know the exact details about it. There's, there's a documentary on it. I've never seen it. But I've kind of heard about just what God is doing. And we won't know what God is doing with his Afghan people, whether he's saving them. Maybe he's protecting. Maybe he's got a shield of protection where the Afghanis don't even see what's going on. You know, I've heard of those from Voice of the Martyrs who, who try to smuggle Bibles into other lands. And, you know, there, there are times they open their, their whole suitcase and it's full of Bibles. And for some reason, those who are, are looking at and investigating the luggage, they don't even see the Bibles. They just kind of let them run through. And I think there's a way that God can protect them, not even seeing them. Verse 2, Psalm 20. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Here's David praying for those in trouble, longing that God would send help from the sanctuary, right? Maybe an angel. Maybe some sort of, right, from the sanctuary. That's right, from God's Holy place where he is, right? Maybe sending an angel. I'm, I'm reminded of Psalm 91 and, and just how, how appropriate this is. Just thinking about an, an angel being sent to protect and to guard. Psalm 91 is all about protection for the, young, for the godly. He who dwells, Psalm 91 verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust and then the promise in Psalm 90, verse 3, is that God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Psalm 91, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that waits at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That may be the case of the Afghani people, that a thousand are falling and 10,000. But God is protecting the godly ones so it doesn't even come near them. As Psalm 90 verse, 91 verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil should be allowed to befall you and no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on a lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. There is God sending from his holy sanctuary 
help and support from an angels, that angels will come and guard them in all their ways. Psalm 91, let me just finish it. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Here's God's promise. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, I remember a few years ago preaching through Psalm 91 and coming across, like there was a, there was a fire, I think it was in Oregon or in Washington or something like that, and uh, I had a before picture in which showed kind of this wooded area and these big houses. They were, they were um, built in this kind of more of excluded uh, area, lots of distance between the houses, lots of woods between the houses, and the fire went through, and then I got an after picture, and it's ash all the way around except for this one house which is standing firm and untouched from the blazing fire that went all around it. And that's the picture of Psalm 91. That, that, that though everything's being burned down, your house can stand if God so determines to protect you and keep his angels over you. And that's what David is praying in verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he send his angels to come and help and guard you and protect you. And God can do that with the Afghani people, with the Afghani Christians particularly, those who are faithful to him. Psalm 20, verse 3. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. And he's just pleading even in this point that you might remember, that, that God might remember you. That God might remember the ways in which you have served him and loved him and followed after him. I, you know, we, I've been reading through the Bible with a, a group of men and um, really just, just finished the book of Nehemiah last week. And uh, one of the things that struck me out of the book of Nehemiah was the number of times that, that Nehemiah just said to the Lord, Remember me, God. Remember me, God. In the midst of all this conflict, here was Nehemiah trying to build this wall. And he had opposition from, from all forces, from Sanballat and Tobiah. And so much so that they had to build the wall with a sword in one hand and with a trowel in the other hand. Because people are trying to kill him. They're going to be ready to fight in a moment. And through it all, Nehemiah constantly said, Oh God, just, just remember, remember us. And he ends the book of Nehemiah. He says, remember me, oh my God, for good. And that's what David is praying for these people, that, that, that God would remember them for good. And I just think about what a bold statement it is to take the name of Christian on an ID card. And how God should remember them, or we want God to remember their boldness and their witness for Christ. That they would be remembered for good. Another, Psalm 20, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. You've got a heart's desire. I, you know, Ivan and I, we, um, I think it was Friday night, everyone was out of the house. Ivan, was that right? And we got a Chick-fil-A and just went to a place and we sat down at a picnic table and we uh, enjoyed our Chick-fil-A and then we, we took a little walk. It was Midway Village that we did that. We took a little walk around the Midway Village track a couple times. And uh, on our walk, we're just talking about, boy, how it's different for us than it is for the Afghani people. And we got a nice food. We're out here just at night, just kind of just enjoying the, the, the chiggers or whatever is going to make the noise, the bugs and the humidity, and you get a swath of coolness every now and then. And we're just walking along, just enjoying our time. That's our heart's desire, just to spend some time together. 
You think about how many Afghani Christians have a heart's desire that way. And, and the prayer here is that, is that God would give you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. You know, also, we've been reading through, uh, just finished Nehemiah, these, these men. We just were going through Ezra as well. And uh, Ezra had some plans. Ezra, of course, went, went back. Zerubbabel built the temple, and then Ezra taught the law, and Nehemiah built the law, built the wall. And so Ezra, at one point, was, had, had some troubles and had, 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 had some uh, difficulties and up-downs. But then finally he got from, from the king, he got um, some credit, some help to be able to go back. And, and there, they, they sent, with Ezra, all of the, the temple furnishings. So Zerubbabel built the temple, and now they're going to fill the temple. But remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had taken all these to Babylon. But now they're going to come back as a gift from the governor uh, into Israel. So they're, they're traveling with a ton of riches, and they're traveling with a, a ton of money. And uh, when, when he thought about doing that, listen to what Ezra said about his plan. He says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and for all our goods. So praying to the Lord, right, that we're trusting in the name of the Lord our God. We're trusting him that he's going to help us bring all this back from, uh, uh, from Persia where they were. And then he said this, he says, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So he's saying basically this, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Oh, well, I guess we'll take your chariots and we'll take your horses. He could have done that, but he chose not to as a demonstration he's going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And how'd they do that? Well, they prayed and they fasted. As it says in Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And those, those utensils made it to the temple because God protected them on the way. God can do that. And, and that's the prayer, verse 4 here, that may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And then David continues on, another prayer for, for answered prayer. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And there he is, right, just rejoicing in the salvation that God provides for them. Now, first of all, we can rejoice in just the fact that the church in Afghanistan is so rapidly growing. I mean, just in these persecuted countries, people try to squash the church, and it just kind of goes fast. Like I think about in China, how the church has just exploded once all the American missionaries left there in the 19, early 1900s. And, and so likewise, it is here with uh, Afghanistan. We can rejoice at their salvation. I mean, when I read this article from, from Breakpoint, about maybe 2,000 people are in the church, my heart just rejoiced at, at their spiritual salvation, that these are people that for us who know Christ, we will know them and we will meet them someday around the throne. And they will be our heroes. People who are alive today will be our heroes because they will be martyred for the cause of Christ. But you think about what they're praying. What do you, what do you think an Afghani's praying? I have no idea what you pray in the days, weeks, months, years before you know that you are in high danger. Praying for safety, 
praying for your family, praying for your country, praying for your neighbors to know Christ, praying for faithfulness through the trial. Maybe James 1, 12, blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test to receive the crown of life which God has given to those who love him and the trial there might well be death or Smyrna. God says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Maybe Revelation 2 is in their minds. Just as God protect us as we as, as if we're going to face this, help us remain faithful to you. Help us not deny you. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, but yet staying strong. I've heard one man say, nothing's more invigorating than having a, a gun pointed at you and living. And they've got guns pointed at them. And I'm sure their prayers are so different than our prayers. That's why, I, with this on my mind, I just could not preach Acts. I just felt like we got to think about their situation and, and understand that where we are. <clears throat> but when I'm done with my message, I, I'm going to give you a chance, and we'll just kind of pray here as a congregation. Whoever wants to pray, we're just going to give you a chance to pray just over these things because Psalm 20 is a prayer. It's a prayer for people like Afghani Christians who are in the midst of trouble and need help to be delivered. And we're going to pray to God that they, God would hear their prayers and that they would be delivered. And the, the promise of David comes like this. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And this David is speaking from experience. Right? You, you remember several stories of David being saved with the, the might of, of God's right hand. Right, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the, the battle with Goliath. And when, when all of Israel saw this big man and they didn't want to fight, they, they cowered away. And yet when David heard this uncircumcised Phil, Philistine taunting the armies of the living God, he knew what it was like to be delivered. In, in fact, even said, he said that in 1 Samuel 17 that, that I will go and fight. And he said this in 1 Samuel 17, 37. He said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David knew that the Lord would, would save his anointed. And indeed he did, right? He took these five stones from, from the brook, and he only needed one. And one hit him in the head, Goliath dropped to the ground. David goes over, pulls out his sword, cuts off his head, holds up his head, and says, look what the Lord has done. I know that the Lord can save his anointed. There's an instance there of he actually turned victorious, where Goliath says, you can't defeat me. David says, come. I know God can. When, when the Philistine says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? It says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. There's Goliath taunting David and David says, 1 Samuel 17, 25, you come with me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the ends of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that it's the Lord who saves with his sword, not with, that the Lord saves not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. What's he saying? The exact same thing that Psalm 20 is doing. This is almost a, 
a, a copy of that. I know that the Lord saves his anointed, that God is going to conquer. It's going to be for his glory when, when all his glory is known before all. David knew how the, the Lord saves his anointed. I, I think about several times it was Saul. You remember when David, in 1 Samuel 24, he's, he's running from Saul and he is, he's in the wilderness. And uh, actually he hides in a cave. And Saul comes into that very cave. Do you remember that? He came in to relieve himself. Little kids like that, that song, like that verse when I talk to them about what he's doing. But David's there in the cave. And they say, oh, no, no, kill him now. And he's like, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And he didn't. And Saul went, he just cut off a little bit from his robe just to demonstrate that he was in there and I, I am in here. And he says, the Lord saves his anointed. He saves Saul. And he knew he was going to save him. Or 1 Samuel 26, when, when the camp came right up against David and David was able to walk right into the camp and take, Saul, and take King Saul's shield, sword, helmet. He took several things. He said, look, I'm not trying to kill you. And he lifted those up. And he saved Saul, and he saved David. He saved his anointed. And God answered David on several instances. And then in verse 7, we read that some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What, what comes to my mind there is the story of, of Hezekiah. When, when Hezekiah... Um, was facing the onslaught of Sennacherib. Right, here's the Assyrian army who just wiped out Israel, and Hezekiah is in the south, and the Assyrian army is going to come up against Hezekiah. And he told the people, listen, right, don't trust in Sennacherib. Don't, don't be scared of him, because we have God who's going to fight for us on our side. And Sennacherib sent Rabshakeh, who was going to taunt everything. And here's what Rabshakeh called out for 2 Kings 28, 18-28. Here... The word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, quote, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Yeah, this is the one with the horses and the chariots. Look at how he's boasting and he's trusting. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Reb Shekha said this, Then each one of you will eat his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink water from his own cistern, right, if you bow down to me, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. And he brings up some historical examples. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of their hand to the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And the people didn't say a word because Hezekiah had demanded them of that. And Hezekiah prayed. You can read that in Second Samuel. Uh, I'm sorry, Second Kings, chapter 19. God says, "You're going to be okay. You'll be okay." And God delivered them, and they did not die, but they continued on and pressed on. And Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings because God rescued them and delivered them. And God is the one who fought for them. God is able to do that if we trust in the name of the Lord our God rather than trusting in chariots. 
God can deliver. The promise here in verse 8, as David says, they collapse and fall, but we stand upright. He has seen people collapse and fall. He says, but we who trust in the name of the Lord our God, we stand upright. We are bold against this. I'm reminded of Psalm 125. Um, it says, the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. And the picture there is that, is that Jerusalem, which is sort of a dip on a hill. It's on a mountain, and it's kind of on a dip. And there are mountains sort of all around, just kind of edges and ridges all around. And those are the picture of how God surrounds his people. It says in Psalm, I think it's 126, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, Psalm 124, let Israel say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. And the raging waters would have swept over our soul. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Right? Blessed is God who has protected it. Had it not been the Lord, we would have passed away. We would have died. But with the Lord, we can rise and we can stand upright. Example after example after example in the scriptures are those who trust the Lord who were seen fit through it. And then he says in Psalm 20 and verse 9, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And really, that's, that's my heart's desire here is that, that God, he would save the king, right? And he did with David. We know that. In several instances, he did that. But the, the prayer here is that may God answer us when we call. So I just want to spend a time now for us to respond as we think about Afghanistan. And you're going to see images here this next week. And I just challenge you, spend more time praying for Afghanistan than you do watching about Afghanistan. Does that sound like a good deal? Every time you see an image, right, pray Psalm 20 for them, that God would answer their prayers. So just this, this day, as they're right in the crisis of Afghanistan and future martyrs are alive today, we have, we have much to pray for them.